Please turn with me tonight in your few Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We will be focusing our attention tonight on the fifth chapter, the first ten verses of chapter 5. But as a, an important context leading up to this passage, I thought it would be appropriate for us to begin reading at chapter 4, verse 7, and then read through to verse 10 of chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Paul here is, is talking about some of the challenges of his apostolic ministry, um, but also talking about um, the, the tension that exists between our light and momentary trials as believers and the glories that await us um, as Christians. And so, uh, that's sort of the, the focus of our, our message this evening. And so, I'll begin reading at verse 7 of chapter 4. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And now our passage for this evening. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And there we're going to end our study or our reading of God's holy word this evening. Well, brothers and sisters in Lord Jesus Christ, as we read the Bible, we notice that the Christian life is so often characterized by tension, by tension. In fact, we could really say that the Christian experience is, is lived out, so to speak, on the bowstring of life, on the bowstring of life. We, we feel the tension on life's line as we are, we are pulled in two directions, as it were, uh, towards our heavenly home, uh, our future life with God on one hand, and our earthly existence here on the other. And the Bible speaks about uh, various kinds of tensions uh, that characterize our Christian life. For example, the Bible tells us very beautifully that through Jesus Christ we have passed from death to life. Uh, We are dead to sin, Scripture says, and we are alive in Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful spiritual reality that we enjoy, that we know and embrace right now as believers. And yet each of us knows that we still struggle on a daily basis with the remnants of that sin in our lives. There's a tension there. Again, uh, on one hand, the Bible calls us aliens and strangers on the earth. This world in its present form is not our final resting place. And yet God never calls us to withdraw from the world. He never calls us to shirk our, our earthly temporal responsibilities. And so there's a tension there between this life and the life to come. We sense this tension, don't we, between our present and our future existence as we, on one hand, lament the disappointments of life, as we are saddened by unbelief in the church and outside of the church, as we grieve over the the sickness of a friend and the death of a loved one, while at the same time we have hope We have confidence, we have comfort in the resurrection of the body and the wonderful promise that Christ says He will wipe every tear from our eyes. And so the Christian life is lived out on the bowstring of life. We experience the tension between this age and the age that is to come. And the Apostle Paul certainly understood that tension, even as he labored for the gospel so often in weakness, in frailty. There were some to whom he spoke that accused him of having given up the fight. You've lost your chops, Paul. You've given up. And that's why, as I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is assuring the Corinthian Christians, though my body is wasting away, though I do appear before you physically weak and frail and and downright unattractive, Though that is the case, I have not lost heart. I have not lost courage because my inner self is becoming younger and younger as the days go by. I'm being renewed daily. And that's why throughout 2 Corinthians 4, Paul compares and he contrasts the light and the momentary trials of life with the weighty glories that await all believers on the day of resurrection. And in our passage, the Apostle Paul looks at our Christian life as we live in the tension 
between this life and the life to come. And he says that this tension should not discourage us, it should not lead us to despair, but rather it should fill us with confidence and courage in the reality of Christ's coming, His imminent return, in light of the resurrection of our own bodies, in light of the, the judgment day that is soon to come. These realities, Paul says, these spiritual truths encourage our hearts. They give us hope that even though we live right now in temporary buildings as strangers on the earth, we can be assured that God has already given us a more permanent home that we can never lose. And so here in these 10 verses, the Lord calls us to lift up our eyes from our earthly circumstances to lift up our eyes in faith from the tension of this life and to look forward to the resurrection hope that God has already prepared for us as His church. I want us to study that theme tonight under two points. First, we want to look at the tension that's described here in these ten verses, and then secondly, in a bit more short order, look at the promise of God contained here in this passage. Well, as I said, Paul has just described the opposition, the persecution that he faces as an apostle. And he explains that this very suffering reminds him of his true home. And he says in verse 1 here of chapter 5, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul here in this first verse introduces the first of several metaphors. Boys and girls, a metaphor is, a, is sort of a word picture. And, and Paul introduces this first word picture to reveal the tension between our present life and the life that is to come. First of all, Paul talks about the tent. He says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building. Now, what is this tent? that Paul is talking about here. By using this word tent, Paul is describing our present earthly bodies, our bodies that are daily wasting away, becoming older, and will one day pass away. And yet you notice here, Paul is not in despair as he talks about the tent of our present bodies. His confidence, his hope, is that even though his body should waste away and eventually dies, he has received something from God that is far better and far more lasting in its place. And his great assurance is this, he says in verse 1, we have a building from God. We have a better dwelling place. We have a resurrection body. We have a resurrection body. And so certain are we as believers, that we will inherit that better dwelling place from the Lord. Paul says, we have it. Not just that we will have it, we have it now by faith and by the promise of God. Through Christ, this new resurrection body is as surely yours as if you are already now experiencing it. That's how certain it is, this better dwelling place. And yet, we, we hear Paul describe this, this better resurrection body in such wonderful terms, and we wonder how he can do that. Why will his heavenly house, his, 
His new resurrection body be far better than the earthly tent in which we all now dwell. After all, we're normally reluctant to leave the house that we grew up in, aren't we? Uh, it's, uh, it's the childhood house in which we grew up. It's most familiar, most comfortable. It's, the, it's familiar in its layout. All of our fond memories were, were made in that, that original house. It's the new house in which we must move. That's less familiar, less comfortable. The old house always seems better than the new one, at least at first. But yet Paul says uh, in verse 2, I long, I groan to put on my new heavenly dwelling. Why will it be better? Why will that new resurrection body be better than the earthly tent of our present bodies? Well, Paul knew something about tents. You remember, of course, that he was uh, a tent maker. That was his missionary sideline job. He made tents. And the apostle knew a few things about tents. First, he knew that the old tents of our bodies would be replaced by a building from God. Now, boys and girls, those of you who enjoy going camping, I see some of you here tonight, you know something about tents. You know that when you go on your camping trip, after you've packed everything else up and you're ready to go home, you don't leave the tent there permanently for someone else to use. After you are done with your trip, you pull up the pegs from the ground, you fold up the tarp, you store them away carefully for the next time you go on your camping trip. Tents are temporary, aren't they? But a building, a building is meant to stay put where it was constructed. Buildings are, are built, they are erected to stay as long as possible. They are permanent, whereas a tent is temporary. And so Paul here rejoices that the buildings of our future life with God, our heavenly dwellings, our resurrection bodies will be a permanent and lasting gift from God on the day of Christ's return. They'll be much better than the frail and temporary bodies we have now, we read in verse 1, they will exist eternal in the heavens. And our resurrection bodies will not be handmade either. You notice, uh, Paul says, instead they will be a spiritual creation, a house, he says, not made with hands, made by God, or we could say remade, recrafted by God Himself. That's a wonderful promise, but how do we know it's true? How do we know it's true? What's the basis of our knowledge and assurance that this will in fact take place for us, that we will inherit these wonderful new resurrection bodies? Our assurance is found in the certainty of Jesus' resurrection. Based on the certainty of Jesus' resurrection, which we know without doubt through the apostolic word, we can know, we can be assured right now that beyond death, there lies the sure reality for us of a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, which by faith we have. Because the one who raised Christ from the dead is the same God who will raise you and give you that beautiful resurrection body. And so the first uh, metaphor that Paul uses is that of a, of a tent and a building proving that our resurrection bodies will be so much better 
But secondly, Paul uses a clothing metaphor to describe the tension between our present and our future life as believers. Paul says, while we are in this earthly tent, we long, we groan to put on or clothe ourselves in our heavenly dwelling. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, not simply that we would cast off this earthly flesh, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. The spiritual desire that we have as believers is to be more fully clothed than we are right now. Perhaps some of you had had the opportunity to stand up in the wedding of a friend or a relative, and as a, as a bridesmaid or a groomsman, you, you are given some very special clothes to wear. Ladies, you hopefully are able to wear a beautiful dress um, as a bridesmaid. Guys, there's all sorts of uh, doodads to put on, a fancy shirt, a tie or a bow tie, pants, socks and shoes, uh, a vest maybe, and then of course there's the tuxedo. But prior to the ceremony, before that most uh, important time comes along, you, you don't wear the particularly good outer clothing. You don't want them to get dirty. You you don't want them to get worn. And so you set them aside. You lay them aside until that most important ceremony comes along. But when it does, you desire, you delight to put on all that fancy garb to be ready for the big event. Well, Paul uses the metaphor of clothing to teach us about our, our Christian longing, our groaning to be further clothed so that our new and better heavenly bodies at the resurrection will swallow up what is now mortal. What is mortal, he says, will be swallowed up, overtaken by life. Paul is describing here one of the greatest mysteries, one of the most glorious mysteries of the Christian life. God's promise to each and every one of us is that what is our our earthly tent, our mortal bodies, will be transformed, regenerated into what will be our heavenly building, life eternal on the day that Christ returns. And no doubt our heavenly bodies will be like our earthly bodies, recognizable to a degree, but with a significant makeover. You and I on that last day will inherit the new you, the new us that God has already promised and He has already prepared. And that is a wonderful, wonderful gift for us to anticipate, even as we toil uh, presently on earth. But you see the tension, don't you? You see the tension of the Christian life. We have two kinds of clothing. We, we have two manners of existence, and we long as Christians. We, we, we groan for our present sinful and weak condition to be swallowed up and overcome by God's resurrection power. We long to be further clothed by our God, and so we feel the tension between the reality of the fact that we already have our new heavenly home, so certain is it, and yet we don't have it quite yet. We're still waiting for it. And so like Paul, we groan for the coming age when our obedience will be perfected, when we will no longer grieve our heavenly Father by our sins 
We long for the day when our bodies will be made whole and complete again. We long for the day when death will be completely swallowed up in victory, swallowed up by life. But our groaning is also filled with hope. It's filled with hope in the sure fulfillment of God's promise that He will give us what He has pledged He will give. That's the second thing shortly we want to see this evening is the promise. We read something very wonderful in verse 5 here. We read that it is God Himself, God who is the designer and the the builder of our heavenly dwelling, who has given us this longing. He has given us this this desire, this this groaning for our future life. Look at verse 5. We read there, He who has prepared us for this very thing, for this, this beautiful heavenly building, this longing to be further clothed, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, as a guarantee. God has not only prepared us for our heavenly dwellings, God has not only given us the desire to be more fully clothed, He's also given us His Spirit in the meantime, to to live within us and to kindle that longing, to kindle that desire for our new life with God. Paul says here the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. The Spirit is a, a down payment of sorts of the new age that is coming. He's a down payment, a promise of that total renewal of ourselves that we look forward to. The word for guarantee here in modern Greek is the word for an engagement ring. And boys and girls, you know, I think, what an engagement ring is and what it's for. An engagement ring is a pledge. It's a promise that, that on their wedding day, the man will marry the woman that he loves. It certifies that the man will fulfill his promise uh, to marry her. Well, God has given us something like that, but much better. He has given us a certain pledge. He's given us a guarantee that our deepest longings as believers will one day be met in full on the day of Christ Jesus. And God's own Spirit is powerfully at work within us. He's assuring us that that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. The same Spirit that that has brought us new life is at work in our mortal bodies for the completion, the fulfillment of our redemption in Jesus. The Spirit is a deposit, a guarantee that everything God promised He would complete in us, He will bring to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And so this Spirit of God within us is an agent of hope and confidence and assurance by His indwelling Spirit, God encourages us to lift our eyes up from the suffering and the disappointment and the trials of this present life and to look forward in hope to all that God has prepared for us, even the tensions, even the longings and the groanings that we have for our future life, even that is a gift from God as a down payment of the Holy Spirit who is even right now preparing us for our new life with God. But Paul admits that this tension in which we live can be very tiring. 
can be very trying for us, and we are as Christians tempted sometimes to, uh, to lose heart. We're tempted to give up. We, we are tempted to forget God's faithfulness. We are tempted to consider the trials of life purposeless. But the remainder of our passage tonight gives us reason for confidence, not just for the future, but right now in our present life. In verses 6 through 10, Paul speaks of an unshakable confidence, an unshakable courage that never spoils or fades even before the judgment seat of God. Let me read verses 6 through 10 once again. Paul says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad." Brothers and sisters, even though we are presently absent from the Lord in the flesh and at home in the body, we can take confidence in the fact that we are, in fact, never absent from the presence of Christ. We can be of good courage. We can walk in faith in knowledge of the realities of our salvation rather than stumbling by sight through the cares of this earthly pilgrimage. Like Paul, we have no reason to, to worry that, that our outer man is wasting away because we by faith see the unseen. We see with the eyes of faith that our inner nature is undergoing daily renewal as the Holy Spirit prepares us for heaven and, and, and conforms us to the image of His Son, and that affects the way we live right here and now. Although it is true that our manner of life in the future will be much better than our present earthly existence, the certainty, the certainty of the coming of heavenly glory encourages us right now by the way we live to enjoy our new clothes and our new home. What confidence then, what, what courage these realities give us as we look forward in, to the future while we live faithfully in the present. One day we will all stand before the judgment seat of God where every deed performed, whether good or bad, will come before the scrutiny of the judge, our sovereign and righteous God. But we know as we live out the present in faithfulness to Him, we know that on that day we will face the judgment seat of God, but we will face it as saints. And He will not condemn us to death, but we will be welcomed into the presence of Christ. In light of that glorious reality, we should right now be pursuing thankful and obedient, distinctly Christian lives. Truly, we live. We live our earthly existence amidst the tension of this age and the age to come. But how comforting 
How comforting to know that even if we are being given over to death for the sake of Christ, even though we continue to suffer the decaying effects of sin, we can focus our gaze as believers upon the resurrection promises of God and their reality, their present reality in our lives. And praise God that we can confess in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism 52, question or answer 52, that in all my sorrows and persecutions, I with uplifted head look for the very one who offered himself for me to the judgment of God and removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall take me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and heavenly glory. What marvelous promises we hold on to right now as we await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you take comfort and assurance and courage in these living promises of our, our Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we often do not think enough about the resurrection bodies, these glorious heavenly buildings that You have prepared for us. So certain are our resurrection bodies, Paul can say, we have them. We have them. And Lord, may the certainty of that promise, certainty of the, the greater, more fulsome life that we will enjoy with You in heavenly glory, May that fuel our obedience here and now as we look forward to the day of judgment in which your enemies and ours will be condemned, but we will be brought into your presence to begin the joy of heavenly glory. May that affect the way we live here and now. May we seek to live distinctly Christian lives, offering lives of service and gratitude and thanksgiving and praise to you. May we not be discouraged by the, the frailties of this life and the disappointments that we face, but may these things be used by Your Holy Spirit to increase our groaning, to increase our longing for our eternal heavenly home. Lord, we pray that uh, You would bless us, that You would strengthen us. We thank You for the guarantee, the, the engagement ring of Your Holy Spirit who assures us that all of your promises to us are true and will certainly be fulfilled. Lord, strengthen us for faithful service, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.